1: Instead of taking up that gym membership that you wouldn't use even if the gyms were open, how's about subscribing to The Athletic for just £4 a month? You'll get unrivaled football coverage with analysis and in-depth features from the very best writers around, exclusive Q&As with Athletic staff and ad-free versions of all The Athletic's podcasts, including this one. Find out more and sign up today at theathletic.com forward slash league show.
2: Hello and, and welcome to this Totally Football League show, Extra Time, in association with Paddy Power. I'm Ali Maxwell, joining you on this midweek tour of the Football League and looking ahead to an exciting weekend of action. And alongside me, as ever, is George Ellick. George, how are you doing this morning?
3: Yeah, good. Good, thanks, mate. A bit, you know, the last couple of days, we're used to so many midweek games and I feel a bit cheated. We're only at about six, so looking forward to the weekend and getting <laughs> back uh, back in the thick of things.
2: Yeah, it is a busy fixture list, no doubt, as is the sign of the times that some games will fall. We know that Brentford's next two fixtures won't go ahead. We know that the same can be said for Sheffield Wednesday due to COVID outbreaks. And now that there's more regular testing, of course, there will be more positives. That's the nature of it and and therefore potentially more games postponed. But we've got a really exciting show ahead for you. And first, you've been speaking to managers behind my back again, George, which I'm not thrilled about.
3: Yeah, I had a date with Rochdale manager Brian Barry Murphy. Um, We had a chat, a really interesting guy, a a manager who likes to play football in a certain way at a club, have a very clear way of doing things. So I think it's a pretty interesting and and a good time to talk to him as well, because their games at the moment are absolutely bonkers
2: for all against Charlton in midweek as every goal flashed up on my phone. I couldn't quite believe what I was seeing, but um, looking forward to listening to that interview. Of course, after that, a new segment, Realistic Transfers, I think we should call it. You guys have helped us out on Twitter in the last few days, sending in uh, your thoughts on what your team needs To improve on in the transfer market in January, we've taken a look and we've come up with some suggestions for you. Uh, My favourite one that we were sent in was from Wegele's Wiggle, who's decided that all Blackburn need is Cedric Kipre, currently out of favour at West Brom, and Harry Pickering from Crew. and then Blackburn will be flying up the table. I don't think
3: he's the only Blackburn fan who thinks that. (laughs) No, I certainly don't think so.
2: More of that sort of thing later, but for now, let's talk about Possibly the most entertaining team in the EFL right now and a player that had a proper remember the name moment this week in Quadwo Bar of Rochdale. As earlier, George caught up with the manager, Brian Barry Murphy.
3: So Brian, you're lost. Five results at Rochdale have been pretty entertaining. Uh, a 4-1 defeat, a 5-0 win, then a 4-1 loss. Then coming back from 3-0 down to draw 3 all against Crew, And then the topsy-turvy game on Tuesday night against Charlton, where you led for much of the game, but ended up drawing 4 all I mean, as a manager, what's it like watching your team playing in these crazy games?
4: Probably like the longest rollercoaster ride you've ever been on. Uh, <laughs> off the back of COVID, I was kind of wincing there as you we went through them because it's been so long with the we had a break over Christmas because we had that um, outbreak of Covid so um, thinking back through the Wigan-Plymouth linking game seems like an eternity ago which is almost like a contradiction this season because everything else has been so close together it's weird weird
3: I mean as a manager when you're watching that is it frustrating for you to see your team scoring goals at one end but also unable to kind of keep your position at bay?
4: Not really. We we um, It's it's always disappointing and the natural um, tendency is to think, oh, we, we had the game and, and, and we shouldn't have lost it. But kind of pre-game, we focused all season on, on I suppose, without sounding cringy, proving people wrong because we lost all of our strikers, Henderson, Camps, who've been such um, a huge influence on our team and everybody said this pre-season, well, these guys won't score any goals. So we worked incessantly hard and the lads have driven that themselves to try and prove that we can do that. So, like, we're not going to have everything perfect for for large parts of the season based on how new the group is. So to see the lads willing to take a team like Charlton on from the from the start of the game till the end of the game and not get disheartened when when the scoreline became level was 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 huge for me. And you know, you'll know we've got loads of stuff that we can work on going forward.
3: Let's talk about the game. Um, last night or on Tuesday evening uh, and Quadro Bar uh, certainly stole the show with a couple of unbelievable goals a great run in the build up for the first as well and that really announced himself to many neutrals although they may not know they may have heard of him before because when he was a trainee at Crystal Palace and a ball boy he actually put the ball back on the uh, on the mark for Adrian to take a goal kick which made the news at the time
4: and the ball boy has actually run onto the pitch to place the ball for Adrian to take the goal kick See, he, like the Palace fans, fed up of what they perceive to be the wasting of time.
3: He looks like an incredibly exciting 17-year-old. As the manager, did it surprise you to see what he did at Charlton?
4: Um, no, uh, no, no, no. Just it's kind of um, what you see is kind of what we've seen. Um, he's only been Quad has been with us for um, 18 months, and yeah, you referenced every time you say to somebody, "You remember that guy from that that episode of Sellers Park?" And the all yeah, I remember that. And that was him. Um and if you look back on that now, you'd get a small insight into what his personality is and how exuberant and expressive he is and kind of um willing to do things willing to do things that are slightly different. Um and if I'm being honest, I said um after the game last night we've never had a player like him in our club. Um and probably uh, probably forgot about Nathaniel mendes Lang who we had previously and like similarities in that ability to um to beat players in the final third and be totally unpredictable. Um, and our supporters used to love Mendez and it's the same now, even though we haven't had our supporters, the buzz around the whole area about what um, a young guy can do is is, um, is tangible really. And it's just, I suppose, from my point of view, in the boring sense, it's about just kind of keeping everybody calm and, and leaving him focused on his development because he has come a long way in a very short period of time.
3: I was going to say it must be interesting for you now because you've got a 17-year-old who has proven what he can do. The fans are going to want him to start as much as possible. How are you going to approach managing that talent and nurturing him to the best of your ability?
4: Yeah, purely George, but uh, all along it's been fine, um, um, separating what what the needs of the team for himself. You know, he's his route is unorthodox in terms of not the traditional academy upbringing where he's come through and he's developed into like um, a professional setup. He was at Crystal Palace as a very young player, but it didn't work out from an early age. And then he went to a foundation in South London, um, the Kinetic Foundation, which has been um, a real source of talent, the likes of uh, Joe Rebo, um, Adelola, Adelola Lukman, those kind of players have been nurtured in those environments. Um, and he is very much of that ilk, kind of an, uh, an outstanding individual talent. So but in terms of his general fitness, it wouldn't, be, it wouldn't have been at the level of our other lads who have been kind of in full-time training all the time. Um, so that's kind of a gradual build-up process. But he can have like those explosive moments that you saw last night on any given day, really. And we saw it at Wigan a few weeks ago. And he's obviously going to attract a lot of attention from outside sources, but from opposition teams as well. So the challenge for him will be to, um, to keep progressing uh, and for me to look after him as best I can.
3: He's not the only talented youngster you've got in your squad. I mean, Aaron Morley is a player that I have really enjoyed watching this season. 20 year old coming through the academy. Stephen Humphreys, who, of course, he brought in in the summer, who's only 23 and is leading the line very well. Are you in any way kind of concerned about being able to keep this group together? Or is that the strategy of the club? Is that the recruitment strategy you look to get in players at a young age, move them on? Um, and that's the way to kind of operate as a business.
4: Yeah, kind of, um, Never, we, I never get the chance to be concerned about how long we can keep them together. Uh, we, we would Sometimes we get a little window where we can keep um, four or five or six of our own players together for a very short period of time. But you'll see that changes very quickly with the likes of Callum Camps becomes um, almost like a senior member of our squad at 23. And he's got like 250 appearances under his belt. Um, and you referenced Aaron Morley there. And he's the one that's, for me, luckily, has gone under the radar for now. And um, but he's amassed the whole host of appearances at the age of twenty, and he's like almost like a captain in waiting for us at that age. So I'm very aware of like uh, how difficult it is for us to keep that group together. It just has to keep changing um, as it goes forward. And it's kind of ironic that we had that game against Crew last Saturday because they're kind of like the um, the epitome of what that should look like, isn't it? You know, this collection of young players. And Dave's kind of done what you just referenced. He's managed to keep those guys together for a long period of time, which was kind of which I was envious of and I thought like, what a brilliant achievement because they look like almost being real challengers within our, within our division because they've been able to do that, but we won't be able to do that because we just have to move players on like Matheson or like Dan Adshed um, to just uh, keep the club afloat and, and that's probably never been more um, evident in, in, in the current climate.
3: You mentioned at the top of the interview how, you know, it's you guys have got to prove people wrong. How at the beginning of the season, you were maybe written off by some people, how you lost key players as well. 20 games into the season and you sit in 20th outside of the relegation zone on um, on goal difference. You know, this is your third season managing Rochdale, but it's probably going to be the first time, hopefully going to be the first time you actually complete a season. How do you reflect on it so far?
4: Yeah. Honestly, without um, people think sometimes that I, I, I'm not telling the truth when I say the, the position in the table um, doesn't concern me. We 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 do get them. I I get the biggest buzz of of my coaching career from seeing um, uh, the likes of the players you referenced just get a, be a tiny part of their journey and move on, and then um, just focusing on our performances and the way that we do things. And I am certain that if we if we continue to do that, we will end up in a position which would be very very good in the table. But there's no guarantees as as you know, like because of the competitive nature of League One. But from the very first minute of that we've had kind of like um, almost two distinct elements of our club has been our own development of players which has been really rich in the last couple of years and um, which isn't always easy to maintain but also with that we've combined that with um, with spectacular success of our loan players and what they've gone on to um, is almost as much um, a source of pride of that we robert sanchez in the first team for brighton playing in the premier league after having such very good loan experience with ourselves and before that with uh, Forest Green. So um, so that kind of uh, parallel journey path has been, has been kind of one of the most poignant parts of what the last two and a half years has looked like for me. Before we let you
3: go, I just want to touch on the start of play because it's something we've spoken about a lot on the podcast. You know, Rochdale, under your management, have been a team who like to get the ball down, who like to play football, who like to play out from the back. I'm guessing that's probably part of the reason why you can attract the calibre of lone players that you do as well. Given, I know you've said that you don't care too much where you're on the table, but the, the fact remains that your your task is to keep the club in the division at the end of the day. Do you ever feel under pressure to tear up your footballing philosophy or is that the way you want to play and that's the way you, the way you want to instil it into the players?
4: Yeah, and not not really my style of play or, or my philosophy, it's just we have a philosophy at the club that's been that way um, for a period of time and service very well. So my job and my staff's job is to coach to that philosophy and make sure that our players um, that come to our academy uh, are not asked to do loads of things that that would would feel totally alien to them. So that's one of the reasons why I feel as if our young players come into our environment and they feel relatively comfortable um, and able to express themselves in that manner. I, I I do actually I do care about where we end up because within our dressing room there's a real competitive nature that want to be um, pushing towards the top end of the table. Um, and I never want to take that away from the group. It's just about me being able to detach myself from um, from the. Um, the very nature of our league, where you can lose two or three or four, we lost five games uh, on in a row last season. But we still managed to play the same way and and progress and and develop players in that manner. And you reference the players that we can bring on on loan. You know, we have got that um, ability to bring in players from Man City or Brighton, which, which I feel complements our our existing players very very well.
2: That was Rochdale manager Brian Barry Murphy speaking with George there. I I must admit, George, I found that really fascinating to listen to. And I was kind of enthused by a lot of what he had to say, or or potentially maybe the way in which he spoke to you. Like, It's a bit different when we get to talk to these managers on the podcast to when we see them in post-match interviews or with the local press. And I, I really... Yeah, I was kind of found that quite refreshing. Firstly, I've got a lot of time for any EFL manager that uses the phrase without wanting to sound cringy. <laughs> <laughs> um, but also, just like a few different things that he touched on there, that I think's just worth uh, just worth focusing on, like the 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 extent to which he was both positive and very calm in the way he spoke about what is. As you said, a relegation battle at the end of the day. I found I found his outlook pretty refreshing, and uh, I wonder how it was for you chatting to Brian Barry Murphy.
3: I mean, yeah, to be honest, he could have said anything in that lovely Irish lilt, and I probably would have swooned. But um, <laughs> but but getting into what he actually said, I mean, I was really impressed. I think whenever you and I speak to managers on this podcast, um, it's it's amazing how often you come away from it thinking, yeah. I would like that man managing my football team. And if I was a player, I'd probably like to play for him. And that was definitely the case with with Brian. Um, he's obviously a very intelligent guy. He's obviously somebody who is very much a process manager rather than somebody who is wedded to the league table consistently. And mm. that came across in a way that he even kind of... He, he corrects himself a bit. But at one point he said, you know, I don't really look at the league table before then saying, obviously it was important to stay up not necessarily for the club or for the fans but for his players and that was the thing that came across most you know we talk about the style of football he I think was quite keen to point out that was Rochdale's style rather than necessarily his philosophy but in terms of player development that's quite clearly where he sees the value that he can impart on the club and also the part of the job that he enjoys because when we spoke about Quadro Bar when we spoke about Aaron Morley we were on a Zoom call and his face lit up. You know, you could see that this is the part of the job that he absolutely adores. And given the Rochdale are clearly a club who like to invest in their own homegrown players who are happy to recruit, you know, they paid a fee for Stephen Humphreys from, from South End, who's 23 years old. They kind of have the perfect manager in charge. And, and I hope, you know, having spoken to him, I, I really hope that he gets the opportunity to continue doing the job that he's doing at League One level because there is a process here that could quite quickly. You know, he's only been there for 18 months. If they get it right and if they can move these players on for, for, for fees and invest in the structure and invest in the infrastructure, sorry, at the club, then I could see him being hot property in a couple of years.
2: It was interesting the way you spoke about the loan players as well, not just pride in developing Dales own but also the likes of of um, Robert Sanchez of course who's now playing in goal for Brighton they've got a, a young Manchester City goalkeeper Bazunu uh, in goal at the moment and a Brighton centre-back as well in in Hayden Roberts and look those two clubs Manchester City obviously an elite club at the very top of English football but Brighton as well are so active in wow well, you might say um, filling their under-23 squad some might call it stockpiling but they have got a good eye for a player and, and and being able to recruit those young players and give them a taste of senior football and hopefully hit upon one or two who can genuinely help your first team. It's an interesting way of going about things and there's a lot of chat about how much League One and League Two clubs especially may rely on the loan market uh, in the next few years after suffering the financial impact of COVID.
3: Yeah, it's interesting how you bring up the, the loan philosophy at the club because when we started the Zoom call yesterday, it was during half-time in the... Man City Brighton game and I made a witty quip as we often do by saying you know you're not missing anything Man City already won 0 up so we're not going to miss anything there and he said well actually I promised Robert Sanchez that I'd watch the game because of course Robert Sanchez was at Rochdale last season and then there he was last night thwarting Kevin De Bruyne at every turn during the game so, um, so it just goes to show the relationship that he still has with the players who've come through that they're still asking their loan manager from last season to watch them in action in the Premier League. Yeah,
2: love that. Plenty of food for thought off the back of that interview. We've got more to come on this show, though. Weekend previews, of course. But next up, some realistic transfers. We've been doing some matchmaking for you.
0: RB Leipzig gift shop? Yeah, uh, I want to return a player. Uh, he's not working. He was supposed to help me achieve my goals, but I don't think he even knows what a goal is. Ah, yeah. Well, uh, all I can say is that he was just fine working when he was to London dispatched. Oh. Lampard and Chelsea can't seem to get their money back, but you can with Paddy Power's Acker Cracker. If one leg of your four-plus-fold Acca lets you down, get a free bet on all football matches and all markets. Paddy Power! Max free bet £10. Min odds 1 to 5 on each leg. Online exclusive. Exclude shop bets and enhanced match odds. T's and C's apply. 18 plus be On Apple
1: Podcasts, Spotify, Smart Speaker, and now ad-free on The Athletic. This is the Totally Football League show Extra Time with George Ellick and Ali Maxwell.
2: OK, so this week we asked you for your transfer suggestions on Twitter. This is a always a busy month, isn't it? And everyone wants to improve their squad in order to achieve their goals in the second half of the season. We're blown away by your responses, so thank you so much for sending them in on Twitter. George, simple question, what position does your team need in January? And you've been answering that with a Brentford hat on for Kieran.
3: Yeah, Kieran asks us... Uh linked with a few wide men, namely Callum Stars of Barnsley and Brighter say Samuel from that lot down the road with his contract up in June. Godos not lived up to the hype yet. And I can see why, I guess, Brentford might want to bring a wide player in because even though they've been very good this season, there is still definitely a Saeed Rama hole left on the left-hand side of their attack. Godos. As he says, hasn't necessarily impressed so far this season. Tariq Fosu has been good in snatches. He's being used kind of as a, as a versatile utility player in some <laughs> ways, and and I guess for that reason, bringing Callum Styles in, another player who, you know, at Barnsley is more of a wing back than a winger. Um, whether he'd necessarily fit in on the left hand side, I'm not sure. Bright say Samuel, I think plays most of his best football out on the right hand side where. Brian and Bomo comes in off the off the right, so I can see why Brentford fans might want to steal the the crown jewels from down the from the lot down the road, but I think neither of those really make sense to me. Um, I think you want a player who plays on the left hand side of a three, who's happy to drift infield to allow Rico Henry to overlap. The two that I've come up with, one isn't particularly original, Ronan Curtis at The reason it's not too original is because there were strong rumours linking Curtis to Brentford back in the summer when Ben Rama was rumoured to be leaving. Uh, That didn't materialise, but he is, I think, tailor-made to the way that this Brentford side play. I think last season it wouldn't necessarily have worked. They were more possession heavy, uh, whereas Curtis now plays for a side and Pompey, who are very, very happy to sit off off the ball, as Brentford are now, very happy to sit in their defensive third, but still have an incredible counter-attacking style and score more goals than basically anybody else in League One. There are definitely similarities between the way that Pompey play this season com- compared to Thomas Franks. Brentford side. And Curtis is both a goal threat, as we saw many, many times last season. He plays next door to a target man of similar-ish styles, I guess, uh, in John Marquis to, to Ivan Tony. So I think Tony would still benefit from his tireless running and his ability to bring markers out wide as well and to drift he's got, inside he's got so good Kurt-
2: delivery he's got good delivery from out wide as, as well doesn't he Curtis so as you say isn't it, although he's a, a goal threat from that wide position he you could see him putting in some teasing in swinging crosses for Tony as well I mean I guess my question to you thinking about Curtis would be we know that he at his best is a is easily a top level league one player would you have any concerns or qualms about him stepping up right to the very top of the championship and an automatic
3: promotion battle there not really. I think if you look at uh, Tarek Fossu last season, I would say that Curtis has done more at League One level than, than Fosu has, even though Fossu had a very good six months. I personally believe that the best that League One has to offer is good enough to play in a good championship side, especially someone like Curtis, who has every right to continue improving as well. Um, you know, we, we look at Ben Whiteman moving today from Doncaster to Preston. I, I don't think you or I have any concerns at all about his ability to fit in at a Preston side. And, you know, that's the cream of League One. So I wouldn't worry about that. And, and the other player that I want to put forward for Brentford as well is another of the cream of League One, and it's Keen Lewis Potter, uh, a 19-year-old who is developing very quickly at Hull, who again offers that threat coming inside off the left. And he'd probably be more of a work in progress, uh, more of a project, but he fits that Brentford model brilliantly. You can see him coming in there, having 12 months of of being in and out of the side, developing quickly before really making his mark in a couple of years' times, the the, the way that we saw Ollie Watkins do, for example. So they would be my two. Um, I'd be confident that both of those two would would be more likely, shall we say, so therefore more realistic than the two suggested than Styles or, or Brighter, say Samuel.
2: So my task in the Championship was to find a striker and a defensive midfielder for Watford fan, Lou. And, well, up top, it's clearly something they're lacking compared to their promotion rivals. If you look at the top scorers for the top six in the Championship, well, there's one standout team and it's Watford because João Pedro is their top scorer with five. He's been injured for the last few weeks, and not involved at all. Stipe Perica signed in the summer. The fans want to see more of him, but he's also picked up a few... Annoying little injury. So it's been Troy Deeney, whose goals have mostly come from the penalty spot, and Andre Gray, who has really stood out for the amount of good chances that he's missed. So it's clear that a striker is what's needed. And I'm going to say Luke Jeffka, He's a very popular name at the moment in the EFL because of the rate that he is scoring for Plymouth Argyle in League One. He's the joint top scorer in that division stepped up so well from League Two and in the last year of EFL football, barely anyone has scored more goals than him. The reason I think Watford would be a good fit and him for Watford as well is, firstly, he plays in a front two with Argyle. And and one thing we've said every time we've spoken about Jeff Girt, it's not even really a knock on him, but it's just something you can't ignore at this stage, is that he's always played up front in a two. He's, he's really dovetailed well with Ryan Hardy, especially who allows him a bit more space in the box. He occupies defenders. And, you know, if you're a team in the Championship that plays one up top, I don't think you would or should go for Jeff Kut right now because you haven't seen any evidence that he could lead the line on his own. It's a different skill set needed. But he thrives on good delivery from wide areas with a foil in Hardy. And I think he could get that with Watford. Chisco looks like the type of manager that wants to play down the sides. They've got good wide players in Ken Semmer, in Ismail Assar, of course, and in Zinke Nagel whose debut in the FA Cup was really eye-catching. So I'd love to see Jeff Kurt playing up top with a Troy Dini, with a Perizza who can occupy defenders and thrive on just finding those spaces and finishing well. Crucially for me as well is is the sort of player that he is, the profile in terms of his career. Not a Premier League player dropping down because they're out of favour on a high wage and potentially low motivation. I think it'd be the opposite for Jeff Kurt, Plenty to prove. In terms of a fee, probably three to four million quid max, maybe less to be honest, and some add-ons as well. You'd expect for a team in receipt of parachute payments like Watford are this season and for two more. You know they have to be in a pretty strong position financially compared to their championship rivals. So I think he would be a, um, a you know, a, a fairly low risk but very high reward potentially signing for the Hornets. And as for a defensive midfielder to replace Etienne capou just go and get Ben Pearson. His contract's up in the summer. You'd probably have to pay a fee. I know that Celtic are sniffing around because they can get him on a free, but there aren't many better at this level. He's in his prime, age 26. He would be so good at the base of this Watford midfield. And, you know, although you might have to pay a fee, it would be cut price with his contract up in the summer. Preston have just signed Whiteman, so I'm sure Pearson's looking to get out as soon as possible. And another player with the right sort of motivation. You know, he hasn't been in at Premier League level since he was a youth player with Manchester United so should be full of motivation as well those are my two suggested signings for Watford you've got another team that you've looked at in the champ
3: yes yeah, stoke uh, we had a few stoke fans getting in touch asking mm-hmm. for a striker lloyd said stoke need a striker clark rabbi and norrington along with a goal scorer re kickstarts our season I like that of a re-kickstart uh, and then <laughs> Liam Evans start,
2: and then we've stalled again and now we need, we need another a one. second kickstart
3: exactly uh, and then Liam Evans says a potential striker back up for Fletcher when he's fit first choice when he's not constrained by FFP so more than, more than likely might need to be alone which made my task a little bit more difficult but I'm going to go back to League One and a player who's handed in a transfer request in Siriki Dembele it doesn't necessarily fit in with what we would expect from Stoke at the moment, but there's certainly been a desire, I think, to change the the, the the kind of player that they've been bringing in. If you look at the attacking options at the moment of Stoke, Stephen Fletcher is the first choice striker, who's 33. Then the supporting acts are Lee Gregory, who's 32, and Sam Vokes, who's, who's 31. I think most Stoke fans would be pretty happy um, if Folks and Gregory didn't really make another appearance for the rest of the season. But I, I think it would be foolish to try and... Upgrade on them because they are established championship players. They haven't turned into bad players overnight. They just aren't necessarily what Stoke need at the moment. And with Rabbi coming in, with um, Alfie Doughty, supposedly, I don't know if that's been confirmed yet, coming in as well, there has been an injection of pace. And I think one of the common misconceptions about pacey players is that they don't fit into sides where Often you see teams who have high levels of possession saying they're crying out for pace, but it's often the teams like Stoke who look to get the ball forward quickly, but spacing behind and to, to run into, both on and off the ball, who really benefit. And Dembele has that in abundance. He's he's so good at driving forward with the ball. He's got very, very tricky feet to carry it through into the into the final third. He's pretty happy to take on a shot, which I'm not necessarily saying is a, is a strength of his. Uh, and in the system that they play, generally a 4-2-3-1, I think he'd be very, very happy playing in that In that role but Nick Powell normally takes up just in behind the striker it would probably become more of a 4-4-2 in that sense but but often he has been employed out wide as well even though being a winger isn't necessarily his strongest attribute and the reason why I think he might fit in here as well is because given he's handed in a transfer request at Posh I would expect when a team comes in for him he will make it very difficult for them not to let him go so I guess a a loan till the end of the season with a permanent transfer in the summer could be an option and we saw Stoke live in one of the few games um, that we were able to attend. Um, we saw Stoke live in, at Wickham and they were pretty one-dimensional in terms of their attack. And you have to think that adding the likes of Doughty, adding the likes of, of Dembele and Rabbi would make them a very, very different proposition. And if you're an opposition defence coming up against that kind of range of, uh, of threat especially when you've still got Fletcher, who is a very, very good striker at this level, could make them a a better team going forward. So Siriki Dembele from Peterborough would be my suggestion for Stoke to turn their attentions to.
2: I was surprised that you didn't mention him when you talked about Brentford and the left wing spot, but there you go. You were saving him up for Stoke. Um, I'm going to drop down to League One and think of a striker for Bristol Rovers to sign on behalf of Lucy Ford, who tweeted in this request. I mean... I sometimes roll my eyes at the amount of fans of clubs who say, all we need is a striker and we'll obviously get better. But it's definitely true when it comes to Bristol Rovers who have, you know, with all due respect to Brandon Hanlon, who's a a very lively attacking player that I like a lot, I don't think he necessarily plays the number nine role, even if he might wear the number nine on the back of his shirt. And in recent weeks, he's been paired up front with Sam Nicholson. Again, a great player, an exciting player, but probably not a number nine. So I'm looking for that type of player. Armand Nondrier sprung to mind immediately because he's on a free transfer. He left Blackpool in the summer and went to Turkey to Altai. I can't tell you what happened there, but he's not there anymore. That's all you need to know. I guess the issue for Nondrier is he was the second top scorer in League One last season. I imagine he'll be looking at a a decent wage and probably because of the salary cap in League One, therefore holding out for a championship club. And I'm sure that there'll be some that will be tempted to sign him because he's got those target man qualities in the championship. Even if I think that might be a level too high for him, I'm not sure he's ever shown that consistency that you need to play at championship level. But, you know, one to look out for Bristol Rovers. There are reports that they've spoken to him. I also think that Tisdale should and will have a very close eye on Jaden Stockley's situation at Preston. He's their third choice striker. He has been getting some minutes off the bench, but he's never found his feet there. He's never looked comfortable in the Championship as a goalscorer. And of course, he had a very good spell under Tisdale at Exeter, so I dare say that, you know they they could be in conversation to to maybe link up again if Stockley uh, is being shown the exit door at Preston. Uh, elsewhere in League 1 George at the other end of the pitch a center back for Plymouth Argyle.
3: Yeah and and I had to think about this for a while when I was planning because Plymouth play 3 at the back and um we do not expect that to change anytime soon under Ryan Lowe. So I was wondering do I have to find players who play generally in a back 3 or can I find somebody who would suit the system in the way that they play and I went for the latter. I don't think you necessarily. I think if you're if you're a good enough defender you can in turn especially if you can play on the ball as Ryan Lowe likes his centre-backs to do you'll be able to adapt to this so my first suggestion is Connor Masterson who joined QPR last season after being released from Liverpool he had a run in the first team towards the back end of last season and I think QPR fans have been fairly aggrieved at how little time he has been afforded on the pitch especially because they've been fairly poor this time around uh, he is a right footed centre back but played on the left hand side when he did play last season showing a versatility I'd probably expect him to play uh, either in the middle or on the right of their Plymouth back three his long-range passing ability is phenomenal and I love that in a centre back his uh, switches of play are brilliant he is very quick off the board as well um, capable of playing on the turn and he has that bit of Kind of technical ability that you can only really see sometimes in academy products, where you can see that he's so calm on the ball, uh, and he's just a player who, who Mark Warburton, the QPR managers, come out this week and said he needs to play football in League One or League Two. They're very happy to loan him out, so this is a loan rather than a permanent deal. Uh, but it, it looks to me like a really nice fit and somebody who would improve them defensively and also fit into the style of play that Ryan Lowe likes to employ. My second choice uh, I've chosen to, this is a permanent signing from League Two, would be Dan Happy of Leighton Orient, a left-footed man-mountain of a centre-back who is just 21 years of age and I have no doubt that he's destined for the very top. I mean, he has every single part of his game is tailor-made to a side who like to get the ball down and play. Uh, I think he would be suited by playing in a back three on the left-hand side as well. He's one of those players where I can't really work out why he hasn't been bought yet. And I think that the only issue here could be that if Argyle can afford him, um, then I think there'd be a queue of clubs also in for him as well. But he, he's somebody who uh, fits the way that Rhino likes to play with the ball on the ground, he's very comfortable on it, whilst also I think would be an improvement defensively on what they've got with a high resale value as well. So two defenders in Masterson and Happy who who like to do the footballing side well, who are good ages, uh one would probably be a loan, I'd guess, to start with, the other one a permanent transfer.
2: Okay, to finish us off, in League 2, and this one's for Lee, Bolton Wanderers fan, and there's been a little move towards 4-2-3-1 in recent weeks from Ian Evert after going 3-5-2 for most of the season so far, and Lee wants me to find them a left winger. Now, I mean, I'm already making excuses for this, but I'm going to say Harry McCurdy, uh, who's at Port Vale, but Port Vale reportedly very happy to let him go, having joined in the summer... He was at Carlisle United last season, and clearly there's been a huge personality clash with uh, John Askey, who left a few weeks ago. He's out of favour at the club and available for transfer. Now, first thing to say is he has developed this reputation both at Carlisle, where he fell out with the fans despite being one of their most attacking... you know, exciting attacking players. And now at Port Vale, clearly a growing reputation that McCurdy is developing of being tough to handle, a disruptive influence. And that's difficult for us to really comment on. I think there's a risk of just accepting that as as given and saying, well, these guys will always be like this wherever they go. So look, maybe a man management job for Ian Everett to do here. The reason I like him is because I've seen in flashes of Harry McCurdy potential ability way above League 2 level you know there was a a, a few a, a few performances in the FA Cup last season specifically that really caught the eye for Carlisle. he scored 5 goals in 5 FA Cup games and 5 in 28 league games so he reached 10 goals in all comps for them he's not an out and out winger by any means he's he's a bit of a wannabe jack grealish and i can say that because he came through at aston villa he wears his socks low he wants to dribble past opponents and he likes to draw fouls and wind players up and maybe go down quite easily at times as well clearly based his game on on uh, Grealish but he's one of those where I think if he could sign and if he wanted to prove that he's not too much to handle that he has got a future in professional football in the English game to have the right mentality and Ian Everett can get the best out of him he could definitely do something for this Bolton side he could provide a spark and a creativity in the final third that they are lacking uh, in the final third at the moment just playing off that left side so it's a bit of a punt I think but he's available I've seen him do very good things in league two he's still a young player and with the right manager maybe and in the right system i think he could elevate bolton's potential in the second half of the season so lee i'd be interested to know what you think about that given that as i say he probably would come with poor reviews from Vale fans and maybe from some carlisle fans but i like mccurdy a lot and i'm going to suggest him for bolton here
3: if you enjoyed the transfer content on this podcast there is loads on The Athletic at the moment. I can recommend the Paul Taylor and Daniel Taylor forest recruitment piece it is enough to really make you wince i must say it's called forest transfers modesto's role and the 70 player shortlist in 2019 a remarkable story about how not to recruit uh, in a football club so but loads of other stuff there loads of efl stuff that i recommend that you check out we'll be back here next week as well for more transfer content as the players continue to move around but there are in theory, some fixtures to look ahead to this weekend, and we are going to
0: preview them next. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com you can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card.
1: This is the Totally Football League Show Extra Time, part of the Athletic Podcast Network.
2: Right, time to throw ourselves headlong into our weekend preview with the help of our sponsors Paddy Power. The first game we're going to talk about is Barnsley against Swansea. This one's live on the box on Saturday evening and Paddy's basically can't pick a winner a barnsley 17 to 10 and swansea 8 to 5 with the draw 2 to 1 so it's a tantalizing prospect we're going to do things a little bit different to previous weeks we both picked a team to focus on and we're going to mash together our research and see what we come (laughs) out with um george before i ask you about this swansea side that you've dived headlong into Um, I just want to note that these two played each other in the league around a month ago and it was a really weird game because Swansea's pitch was horrendous in fact it was just before it got relayed completely and it was just it wasn't the game we expected at all Swansea won 2-0 they managed the conditions a lot better than Barnsley but a Swansea side that like having the ball and generally treat it well had 45% possession completed only 39% of their passes which just shows the pragmatism that Steve Cooper Cooper has up his sleeve when he just needs to grind out a win but this game I think will look quite different
3: yeah you'd expect most games that Swansea play him to be a bit different to that because it was so against what we're used to seeing from Steve Cooper but that in itself I think is is a reason why the job he's is doing is so impressive we often talk about managers and how they have a certain way of playing and a certain style with Swansea I think when they have it their own way they would still like to dominate possession and have most of the ball but they've shown that they can do it both ways as well and, and it's going to be an interesting clash of styles here as I'm sure you'll mention because Swansea pragmatism good defence against Barnsley which is uh, maybe a slightly more hectic way of doing things uh, but Swansea are second in the championship we speak so often about how it's it's Norwich it's Bournemouth it's Brentford it's maybe Watford but Swansea are sitting right up there towards the top end of the table and the key reason why they are there is because of their defence they've conceded just 13 goals in 23 games in their last nine games in all competitions they've conceded one goal and that was a very very scrappy effort against Watford in a game that they ended up winning 2-1 and let's remember as well this all comes after their star centre-back was sold to Tottenham in Joe Roden as well if you told us that after Roden left the defensive solidity would come we'd have all been very surprised and the key to this has been the back four effectively with Freddie Woodman in goal Gwehi, Bennett and Cabango being the three at the back. You've got an interesting mix there of experience, of homegrown talent and of a Premier League loanee in Gwehi and it is working incredibly well. In a way, I mean, they play three at the back, but their wing backs in Connor Roberts and Jake Bidwell aren't necessarily the most attacking minded. They are key creative forces for Swansea. They've got four assists apiece and, and top that metric, but generally the balls come in from fairly deep. They're both capable defensively. I think they both feel more comfortable playing as fullbacks rather than wingers, which shows you the kind of players that they are. And that has been, if you could have any gripe about Swansea, it would be probably the lack of goals. I mean, they are so reliant on the front two of Andre Ayew and Jamal Lowe for their goals, who have eight apiece, but there doesn't really seem to be much creativity coming from the middle of Of the park, and it hasn't helped either that Morgan Gibbs White who was the big kind of marquee loan signing from Wolves. Uh, he had a bad injury for the last few weeks of his loan spell before returning to Wolves and then starting, which which I think surprised quite a few Swansea fans uh, with his first game back. Casey Palmer had yet another frustrating loan spell. Um, he turned up at Swansea, didn't play very much and has now gone back to Bristol City as well. I mean, there, there are lots of tidy midfield players. Uh, Grimes is a player that I, I really like in the middle of the park for Swansea. Um, Jan Dand has been tasked with having providing that creative spark for midfield in recent weeks, but it hasn't really happened for him either. So that is the area where I think Barnsley will, will look... I assume to try and drive the ball into the middle of the park. Don't let them play with any width whatsoever, but it's going to be breaking the Swansea down. That's going to be the difficult part here. Not many teams can do it. Swansea fans are desperate for their team to bring in a striker. They've been linked to Max Waters in the last couple of weeks of Crawley. I would personally say that, that a creative spark in midfield, that number 10, that attacking eight, would be a better area in which to look to strengthen. But in terms of this game, Swansea, I'm sure, will come at them very, very hard. But as we see consistently with Swansea here, it's going to take... You know, you said I was going to be diving in to Swansea. I think anyone who dives into Swansea is going to get kicked back pretty quickly afterwards. So uh, it's going to be a difficult one for sure. And again, I'm, I'm not anticipating many goals.
2: That's interesting. That's very, very interesting. I mean, you've every right to say that. I've just been working out that if Swans were to continue this current defensive record, the first half of the season, conceding only 13 goals, that would be 26 over the course of 46 games. And the best defensive record in the the modern era, if you will, certainly since 2010, was Middlesbrough, who conceded 31 in their 46 games. So they're on course to break the record for the best defence in championship modern history which would be a hell of a thing but I think this Barnsley side can hurt any team uh, in this division. And I always say that if you're a neutral and you need to choose a championship match to watch on the weekend, you should choose a Barnsley game. Not just because of Barnsley themselves, but the way that their games tend to play out. They're always entertaining, they're always open. Even if there aren't a ton of goals, you're likely to see it. An, an interesting game and a tactical game as well. They're a great side, Barnsley, but they're not without their flaws. Since Val Ishmael joined as manager, they've got the fourth best record in the championship, just one or two points fewer than Swans in. That time. So they've been one of the more impressive sides in the league. The big narrative for me in this game, and the thing that I'll be most interested in here, I want to big up Barnsley, but you can't get past the fact that where they are now in ninth position is definitely, you know, if you're looking to progress and if you're looking upwards, which every team should be, and you look at their record against the teams below them in 10th position and below, nine wins, three draws, three defeats, 30 points from 15 games, that classic two points per game record. Brilliant doing such a good job. Against teams above them, 8th and above, 1 win, 1 draw, 5 defeats, 4 points from their 7 games. So, That's why they've hit this ceiling, as they have at the moment. That's what they need to try and improve on. The problem is is that they're so adamant in playing a certain way, this very high-intensity, high-line system, that the best teams have been able to pick them off almost at will. We saw Norwich, even if they didn't rack up the goals against them the other week, they were constantly finding openings in behind Barnsley's defence. Bournemouth did the same. It's almost like the little brother fighting with the big brother and the big brother maybe letting the little brother think that he's got a chance of winning the fight and then just picking him off. <laughs> <laughs> That's kind of how I would explain it. And look, if, if Swansea play savvy here, there will be chances for Lo and Ayu to find space on the break. But... Barnsley can certainly hurt them themselves and I can't wait to watch this one um, there's no doubt that they will give Swansea a bloody nose but whether they've got the nous yet in these games against the top teams to win I'm not 100% sure it's going to be a great watch live on the television 745 on Saturday night Barnsley Swansea our game to watch in the championship this weekend in League One it's Peterborough against MK Dons George you're going to talk about posh In just a minute, but in a similar vein, we've clearly landed on a round of fixtures, which was repeated, or the the reverse of which was only about a month ago, which I always think is kind of interesting, especially when comparing the two sides and getting a a view on them twice in a month. Uh, This game was a month ago. It was one all. Uh, Johnson Clark Harris scored in the first half. And then in the second half, MK Dons' classy midfielder Scott Fraser really got a hold on the game and set up Cameron Jerome for an equaliser. Uh, uh, George, uh, a pretty big difference between the two sides in the league table at the moment. Tell me all about how posh look heading into this game.
3: Well, I watched their game against Lincoln uh, last weekend, a game they're due 1-0. And that was their first match since the MK Dons game that you're talking about. They had a three-week break because of COVID-related postponements. And... They've only won one of their last five games. That was a 4-1 win over Rochdale. But interestingly, and I don't often like to look at EFL trophy games for various reasons, but this is one where there is significance because they beat a a second string Portsmouth team 5-1 in the EFL trophy in midweek. And normally I would say, you know, Portsmouth played a poor side. It doesn't really matter. But when you look at the side that Darren Ferguson put out, I think this was a case of, right, guys, we need to get back to some form. We need some confidence here. And they ran out 5-1 winners, five different scorers in the game. So Ricky Dembele started again, despite having handed in a transfer request. That's both games that he started for Posh since doing that. Um, I quite find it quite amusing that some of the rumours uh, coming out about um, Dembele's links to Brentford have been that Ivan Toney has supposedly recommended him to Brentford's hierarchy, <laughs> saying that he's the best player in League One. I have a feeling of all clubs in the EFL, that is at least likely to be the case with Brentford, who have a very clear way of doing recruitment. And unless Ivan Toney is star striker slash chief scout, I think that's, uh, that's pretty unlikely. But, but it, I, when you look at the side they put out in this game in midweek, Dan Butler and Joe Ward, who were two of the key players really when Portsmouth went on a run of seven wins in eight earlier in the season. The they've been out with injuries. Two, they? Yeah, the two wing backs. They've been out for this run. They've been out over the last few weeks. They both started in midweek. So their return to the team in, in place of Cannon and Burrows could be an important moment. I think there's maybe some complacency around Posh as well. I think the recent run of difficult results, maybe has meant they've been a bit forgotten because they're in fifth and they're just five points off second with the game in hand. They're still a major player and we've seen earlier this season as well how they can blitz teams. Their midfield three of Taylor, Brown and Smoddix is still very good at this level. I think Smoddix is maybe a player who's been slightly a victim of, of a real purple patch of form towards the back end of last season. He hasn't been able to continue that but is still a good League One player. And then Johnson-Clark-Harris tops the, the scoring charts in League One as well at the moment who's doing a very, very good job of, of replacing the irreplaceable in Ivan Tony, so uh, Posh definitely don't come into this in good form. Um, they don't really come into it in in any form at all because they've played two games in a month since playing against an MK Don side, uh, who have a habit this season, as I'm sure you'll tell us, of doing okay against the better teams in the league. I, I'm still fairly positive about Peterborough this season. Uh, I still think they're one of the best teams in the league, and I think with with key players coming back, key players who aren't necessarily seen as key players. I know a lot of uh, a lot of Posh fans, particularly with Butler. Uh, don't necessarily think that the is a is a, is a is a step down on him, but I I think they're they're set to improve and I think this is going to be a very difficult game for the Dons, and that is reflected in the prices with Paddy Power as well with Peterborough the 23 to 20 favourites MK Dons 23 to 10 the draw nine to four but Ali you and I have interviewed Russell Martin the MK Dons manager on this podcast we've spoken at length at how we're fans of the process going on at Stadium MK. How are you feeling about them at the moment?
2: That word process is being used a lot at MK Dons at the moment as part of a wider phrase, trust the process, because that's <laughs> what the fans needed to do. At the time, we were talking to Russell Martin on this show and he was explaining the quite extreme style of play, like high possession, um, uh, high, high ball retention at the back of the pitch, short passing out of the back, even including the goalkeeper who was joining the back line at times, um, and it wasn't necessarily translating into short-term results. But... The tide has been slowly turning. MK Dons have lost only four of their last 19 in all competitions. They won their last two games handily in the league against Swindon and Bristol Rovers. And they are certainly moving themselves away from any sort of relegation uh, battle. Trusting the process is starting to be proven to be the right thing to have done. And at the top end of the pitch, Cameron Jerome has been brilliant. Uh, And I think it's important to say that because I certainly thought when I saw Cameron Jerome signing for MK Dons that... Well, we've seen this sort of thing before. A player who's had a long career at the at the highest level, really, or certainly a higher level than this, potentially dropping down for one last payday and maybe lacking in motivation. That has not been the case at all with Cameron Jerome. Russell Martin, a former teammate of him at Norwich, getting the best out of him, and he's leading the line brilliantly at the moment for MK Dons. They lost his foil, Carlton Morris, who was um, recalled by Norwich and then sold permanently to Barnsley, but some interesting signings this week for MK Dons. On a free transfer from Chelsea, a player in Charlie Brown who, unlike his cartoon namesake, doesn't lack confidence and will snoop around the final third looking for chances. He's an interesting option because, I mean, look, he's won everything with Chelsea youth teams and he was prolific for Chelsea youth teams. But of course, Chelsea youth team strikers tend to be fairly prolific and it's not a guarantee of success in senior football. But I think he's got a really high ceiling and I think this is a great place for him to land, playing off Cameron Jerome, if that's where Russell Martin sees him playing. I think that he'll enjoy finding pockets of space and he's clearly got a brilliant left foot and can be a goal threat from the edge of the box. They've also and this might be more intriguing for me signed Ethan Laird on loan from Manchester United. Now one youth football expert called Connor Rowden that we follow on Twitter said that Ethan Laird has as high a ceiling as pretty much any fullback in the country. And when you bear in mind how deep England's fullback uh, strength <laughs> is at the moment even just 23 and under um, it, it's quite the uh, it's quite the statement that and I know that there's high hopes for him within Manchester United and MK Dons is a great place to be a fullback because they do play three at the back with wingbacks and if you're a wingback in this team you're pretty much playing as a winger now the last thing to say about Laird is he does not lack confidence just check out how he described himself as a player in his first interview excitement I want to be that player who, when he gets the ball, it's like, what's he going to do next? Um, Obviously, I need to focus on my defender and whatnot, but I know when I get the ball, it should be fireworks. (laughs) So, yeah, they're in good form. They're playing good football. Some exciting new signings. I think it's a really exciting time to be an MK Dons fan. And I know you believe this as well, that we think they're the best team currently in the bottom half of League One possibly the most likely team in League One to rise up from here on to the end of the season it might be that the playoffs is too far there are so many good teams in League One uh, and it might be uh, you know one step too far for them but certainly we will get a good idea based on this game if they can match posh in the way they did a a month ago if they can maybe get an away win which of course would be a surprise away win Paddy Power have them as the outsiders I think people will really start to sit up and take notice I think given both teams play a similar formation it might might be that the middle of the pitch is very congested here. It could be quite a low scoring encounter. But the one thing they couldn't do last time they played was keep Johnson, Clark, Harris at bay. It was a standard ball out from out wide into the box that they didn't defend well. That's what they need to do to keep Posh quiet. And I think MK Dons could have a pretty good chance of springing an upset here. Right George to finish us off in League 2, the game that I am framing as the form team versus the top team.
3: Yeah, this is the best Game in my opinion in the EFL this weekend Ooh. Mansfield hosting Carlisle Mansfield are the thirteen to eight just about outsiders Carlisle the table toppers are six to four and the draw is twenty three to ten with Paddy Power and I am going to be talking to you about Nigel Clough's Mansfield and <laughs> Ali in twenty twenty I invited you to two of my stag parties and both of them were sadly <laughs> postponed due to coronavirus they'll be taking place this year in twenty twenty one which is just about right because 2021 is the year of the stag and I'm going to invite you on another stag party hosted by Nigel Clough because Mansfield are running riot. Four league wins on the trot. I mean when I made my notes for this it was before the Oldham game which happened last night. Since that game finished I've basically been asleep uh, but I've updated them in order to compensate for that 3-2 victory. They've scored 12 goals in these four league games and and before you know, sometimes we can see purple patches of form and you have a look and you dig into them and they don't look sustainable. But that's not the case here. Mansfield have just been the best side in League Two over the last four or five games. We have a look at the data, the underlying numbers, the XG ratio, which is the expected goals for per game compared to the expected goals away. So you work out what level of of good chances each team is getting on a game by game basis. And Before last night, because the the data hasn't updated, Mansfield's XG ratio was 76.22%. Not only is that easily the top of of League Two, but it's also just an incredible level, which if they maintain, they will just surge up the table so quickly. To compare that for those who, who are new to this kind of thing, Over the course of the season, the top teams in the Premier League Championship, League One and League Two, Man City are 64%, Brentford 66%, Sunderland and Hull 63%, and then Carlisle are 66%. So they are far out-shooting. Even those teams, obviously this can't necessarily continue, but it just shows that this isn't just a case of a run of good wins. This is Nigel Clough coming in and completely changing the way this team are playing and their performances on the pitch. And we shouldn't be, we shouldn't be surprised because we know that this is a squad which is, has a lot invested in it, that has players who we would expect to be playing at the top end of League 2 just in terms of their attacking output against Salford and Port Vale. They had 22 shots in both games last night. They had 16 against Oldham and looking at the uh, what he has done, a key part of this seems to be the players that he is improving. Jordan Barry is, is turning into a really good striker for them. Jamie Reed, who was signed from Torquay in the summer, having scored 57 goals in 91 <laughs> games for them, really struggled for form under Graham Coughlin but Nigel Clough has invested his faith in him starting him for all of the last four games and he got his reward with his first league goal last night so I know Ali you've got a bit of a story about Reed. <laughs> yeah it's not
2: to do with football but this is what happens when you follow too many EFL players on Instagram uh, Jamie Reed. Uh, has a lovely girlfriend and his girlfriend's sister goes out with Ollie Watkins so nice. you know there's been no no marriages taking place but in terms of uh, <laughs> in terms of relationships they're kind of like brothers-in-law so if he needs tips from a Premier league striker then he's got them on speed dial and, and well maybe his recent form shows that Watkins has been passing on some of those tips. Maybe. Maybe that's I it rather than Nigel Clough and Tony Watkins. I guarantee you that wasn't what you were expecting me to say. There. It
3: wasn't. It wasn't. <laughs> I was going to make another stag party joke when he said there weren't any weddings yet, but I think I'll leave it. Um, I asked Sam Binch, who is a Mansfield fan who runs a Twitter account called MTFC Musings, just for his thoughts on what has happened. Because you don't often see shifts like this in terms of, of, of performances after such a disappointing couple of years. and. And Sam says that the majority of this is a switch in formation. Moving to a four-three-three with Barry on the left-hand sides uh, has been very important to them. Uh, they've they've changed to Barry on the left and uh, Charles Lee on the right. And since then, the form has been played 8-1-4, drawn three and lost one. They did change it up last night with Andy Cook coming into the team and playing through the middle, which meant that Jamie Reid played on the right-hand side and Charles Lee in midfield. But it seems like the shift of formation has been crucial. And George Maris has been one of the, well, has been the unsung hero in this change of form, playing in a holding midfield role. Uh, and since he's moved into that position there They haven't lost a game in the seven games that he's done that. I saw somebody tweeting yesterday, Ali, calling him George Maris Lele, which I don't think quite works. But certainly a player who we thought would make a difference at Mansfield. He's come into the side and initially it hasn't worked too well, but a shift again from Clough has him playing well. So I am just incredibly excited about this Mansfield team. I don't think a playoff push in any way is off the cards the way they're playing at the moment. But as you're about to tell us, they are coming up against a side who've been doing this for more than just a few games.
2: Well, that's the thing. This this is a game where we will learn a lot about Mansfield, a lot about... How good they actually are, you know. You quoted the the underlying numbers at me from the last few games, and that puts them towards the the highest performing teams in League Two. Well, they're about to come up against the highest performing team in League Two over the whole season so far, the team that have sustained that high level of play, and they are going to be have they are going to have to be bang at it from the first minute because that's what Carlisle demand of you. They play such an intense, high octane style of play, beach ball as we call it, under Chris Beach. And Mansfield, who, as you mentioned, played on Wednesday night, they won't be able to demonstrate any sort of fatigue or be slow to get going because they will find themselves behind if that's the case. Now, I don't reckon there's a team in the EFL whose fans are happier, more content as football fans right now than Carlisle United. I don't think there can be, really, because, you know, of course, there are plenty of teams at the top of the the three leagues, but... In terms of pre-season expectations, I think Carlisle might be outshooting any side in the EFL, an entertaining style of play, a manager and players to be proud of. Everything is going well at the moment. And I'm sort of wondering when it will end. And I think it's sustainable. We both think that Carlisle will finish this season being promoted from League Two, whether that's as champions or not. There's a lot of football still to be played. But for a team that finished 18th in League Two when the league stopped last season, which followed 11th and 10th placed finishes, there was no necessarily there wasn't like a big indication that this improvement was on the cards. Then Chris Beach started working his magic, and here they are atop the league two table, and just been a consistent accumulation of points and wins since the start of the season. There's never been an extended run of poor performances and results. I think you know they they haven't gone more than two games without a win all season, and it's a, it's the culmination in good man management from Chris Beach getting the most out of a lot of players many of whom have bounced around this level previously and not performed at this level that's because he's got a style of play that suits those players and suits the the team as a whole and recruited for that system and has added some brilliant additions this summer Coyote on loan from Rotherham is having a brilliant season up front Uh, Omari Patrick who, he's he's a classic example of someone who's flattered to deceive. He's looked good in flashes, but never consistently. And now he's looks like one of the most sort of dangerous attacking players in the division. There are stars all over the pitch, really. As we've said before, they they're a team that's greater than the sum of their parts. So you could either say they've got a lot of star players or you could look at it as they don't have one star and that's kind of their strength. Away from home, and obviously they're travelling to Mansfield this weekend, The games have been very low margin. They've played 11, they've only scored nine and they've only conceded nine. So they're not quite as gung-ho away from home as they are at Brunton Park. But yeah, for me, the onus is on Mansfield here. I think Carlisle would come into this The fresher side, the the side with a bit of swagger about them and plenty of confidence. Of course, Mansfield have got that as well. So, yeah, it's kind of irresistible force meets immovable, immovable object in League Two this weekend. And I cannot wait for it.
3: That's it for the Totally Football League show Extra Time this week. Hopefully you're feeling prepared and armed with knowledge to head into the weekend. Thank you very much to Rochdale manager Brian Barry Murphy for speaking with us. And thank you. For listening, Matt and Co. will be back on Monday and we'll speak to you again soon. Goodbye.
1: You've been listening to The Totally Football League Show Extra Time, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Keep up to date with everything totally at thetotallyfootballshow.com and by following at The Totally Show on Twitter and Insta. Check out all of the Athletics football podcasts on Apple, Spotify, and all the usual places, or listen ad free on the Athletic app. The Totally Football League Show is a Muddy News media production and sponsored by Paddy Power.
4: the Athletic.